Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm in awe that this person said yes to being on the show. Someone who has and continues to embody everything I believe as a Jew, as a therapist, as a human, as a person who hopes to be what Dr. Edith Egger is today. She's published her New York Times best-selling memoir, The Choice, at age of 90 in 2017. In 2020, during COVID lockdowns, at the age of 93, she published her internationally best-selling guidebook, The Gift. Both books are translated into more than 30 languages. She is a survivor of Auschwitz, is a practicing and world-renowned psychologist, a great-grandmother to seven, and the embodiment of light-hearted love and positive energy. Dr. Egger speaks to audiences internationally and maintains a practice in La Jolla, California. You know, there are certain people that uh, will go down in history as legacies in the mental health world. And Dr. Edith Egger is one of them. And it is an honor and privilege to have a conversation about her experiences in Auschwitz, her experiences with despair, and how she's able to sprinkle gratitude love, hope, and laughter amongst the darkest times, something we all can learn from. So let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. Um, I am awestruck and, and nervous, excited at the same time to share a space with Dr. Edith Egger, who is just changing the world on hope and gratitude and love and connection from such a dark place um, that uh, my family went through, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and something that's very, um, something very close to home as an Orthodox Jew, uh, and any Jew or anyone who's known about the Holocaust, um, and I'm just so pleased to have you on. Um, can you give a small snippet, if no one has knows who you are, who's listening, um, about who you are and a little bit about your story before we get into the mental health conversation? One, one of the things I may mention that they, that is genocide as we speak, but never in the history of mankind such a scientific and systematic annihilation of people existed when 15 highly educated people decided that they can put 30,000 Jews in the oven in one day. So it's not comparable. Yeah. And I am part of the final solution. Now my story is, uh, is about... A little girl, after two beautiful girls, when my parents really wanted a son, and my mom told me, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> so, so I think I really ask people to pay attention to the story that they still perhaps need to look at and recognize that uh, you can change that. You can rewrite your script. Yeah. You know, I am as beautiful as I think I am. And uh, I think uh, 
you are a man with a brilliant mind and a kind, loving heart. So I, I'm going to call you a mensch. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, in, in your books, um, especially The Choice, there's a very iconic part of the story where you just get to Auschwitz and there's a realization of the reality that just hit, you know, with the the, the person you asked about, your family, and, and, and looking at the chimney and then you and your sister are, are there experiencing this together and she asks you, yeah. I know you said before, a very Hungarian thing of how do I look? And yes. you have an option to say, how do I look? What do you mean? Look what's happening. And instead you said, your eyes are beautiful. Your eyes are beautiful. How did you shift your mindset? Because Hungarian women are, are uh, asking such questions. They pay a lot of attention to the external, yeah. to be young, to be, to be thin. And so instead of telling her how she looked in her nakedness, um, no hair, I chose to tell her, Magda, you have such beautiful eyes, and I didn't see it when you had hair all over the place. <laughs> so I think today I ask people, if you want to say anything, ask yourself, is it necessary? Is it important? But most of all, is it kind? Mm. If it's not kind, don't say it. And when when you're in that moment of your own emotions and your own feelings yes. in that space, how do you how do you put someone who you love, who you care about in in that focus when you're going through your own stuff in that moment that you were in? I think that's a brilliant question because the word comes up is to transcend the me, me, me to transcend your ego needs and commit yourself to others because all we had was each other then and all we have is each other now. Mm -hmm. So when Dr. Mengele came and wanted to be entertained, I remember my Jewish school teacher was there mm -hmm. and she pointed the finger at me. I never forget that bony, bony finger and told me, do as I told you, you know, go dance and do as you are told. And sure enough, I was dancing and pretending that the music was Tchaikovsky, and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet at the Budapest Opera House to a very elegant audience. Mm -hmm. So that's what it took then. All we had was each other then, and all we have is each other now. I'm glad I'm talking to my colleague, and I know that you and I have a great deal in common because people come in and they either have what they don't want or want something, you know. And and I think it's very important to to negotiate to compromise. I think you and I do that a great deal. We really teach people, most of all, 
how to listen to their inner inner voice. Your kishka, yeah. as we call it, your kishka. Listen to your spirit. The spirit never dies. And this is what my sister told me when I was asking, when will I see my mother? And I was told to look at the fire in a chimney. Mm-hmm. And she said to me that your mother is burning there. And my sister said, hugging me, the spirit never dies. So I owe it to my mother, I owe it to my parents to let them know that I didn't die in vain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to uh, talk about your mom for a second because there was a very lo- a line that really stuck with me that I-, I always wanted to ask you what your mom meant when she used to say the if the when you uh, if you can't go through the door you go through a window. What does that practically mean? What did she try to embark on that lesson? And what was that lesson that you took for your life with that? I, I think it has to do with look at your options because the more choices you have, the less you're going to feel like a victim. I am not a victim. I was victimized. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's what was done to me. Mm-hmm. So... Um, one thing you see that uh, it's very important to never give up. And that's what I learned. You know, Auschwitz was hell. Uh, it wasn't a place for recovery, but it was a place for discovery. Mm-hmm. I call it an opportunity for an opportunity to discover my inner strength. Yeah. And I think that is very important because they could put me in a gas chamber any minute, four o'clock in the morning, we stood in line and they could have taken us um, to, uh, you know, they could have taken us to the gas chamber. We didn't know where they're going when we took a shower. We didn't know whether water or gas is going to come out. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, uh, what is important and why I am proud to be a Jew, because Jewish people were slaves, and then they were liberated, and then they entered the desert Mm -hmm. with a guy called Moses. And guess what? They never gave up. Yeah. That's the blood I carry. That's the blood I carry. They they walked over 40 years and they never gave up. It, it's such a beautiful sentiment of, of who we are as a people and, and the fight and, and the, the strength. What, what would you say to someone who has, because I know your specialty and, and your amazingness is based in trauma work, right? You became a psychologist in your 40s and went right, you know, headfirst into the work that healing process. How do you, when you get through something so bleak, such despair, how do you bring normalcy after such a terrible situation in life? 
Uh, normal means average. I don't think, uh, I don't think we who experience Auschwitz are average people. No. I think we needed to know that no matter what happens, that there is hope in hopelessness. And that's, that's why I never ever give up. So it was important for us to be realistic and not idealistic. Mm-hmm. I remember they took my blood and I asked the guy, why do you take my blood? And he asked me in German to aid the German soldiers so we can win the war and take over the world, mm. mostly America. And I said to myself, that's what you say. And uh, I, I, I know that uh, with my blood, you're never going to win the war. Mm-hmm. So there was humor, not really philosophical humor. It was more sarcasm or cynicism. And uh, it was very important for us to get together and have humor. And uh, I remember we had a boob contest. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there we were standing with our boobs. And I remember when my sister came home from Budapest, she was the only Jewish girl accepted at the music conservatory. And I put uh, socks into me so she would see, and, uh, because I have boobs. Yeah. Um, so I think it is important to think about your thinking even today. And hopefully you think realistically. Yeah. That I said to myself, I don't like it. It's inconvenient and it's temporary. Mm-hmm. Not yes, but. Give me the but. I give you an end. Yes, and it's temporary. And yes, I can survive it. A lot of yeses. Yes, I am. Yes, I can. Yes, I will. Lots of yeses. You know, in, in the world of trauma healing, you know, you and Viktor Frankl, who were best of friends at some point, um, really yes. talk about the choice, right? Choosing yes. that yes. idea. Uh, you know, I specialize in trauma work. And one of the things, what, are people afraid to choose hope? I think fear and love does not coexist. Mm. When you have fear, you have no love. And when you have love, you don't really practice fear. Mm. Fear, uh, fear and love is not something that I ever could see doing and, and practicing. But fear exists. We're not born with it. We learn it. What is good to write down all your fears from your least anxiety producing to the most anxiety and then get rid of them. Mm. That's beautiful. And, and Fear and love does not coexist. I love that line. Um, and it's just so interesting that in the world that we live in today, we're, we're like searching so much for something to hold on to. And we, we say that this is so terrible and so terrible. And one of the things that research shows and you talk about so beautifully in your book is gratitude being such a powerful force. And how do we choose 
to be grateful when we feel there's nothing to be grateful for? I am. I remember when I had the Vietnam veterans sent to me and talk about post-traumatic stress, but it's not a disorder. We pathologize too much. Mm-hmm. I like to demythologize. There is no Asian Harriet. There are no Gerber babies. I think it's very important for us to think as well as we can that life is just one day. The morning sunshine doesn't come back. And I am at the evening part of my life. And I know in my deathbed, I'm going to be grateful that I became a person who is guiding other people from victimization to empowerment, from darkness to light. And I think this is very important. The more choices you have, the less likely you're ever going to feel like a victim. Hmm. I was victimized. I never forget what happened. I do not overcome what happened. I remember when I went to have steak at Ruth's Steakhouse, I was walking on cobblestones, and the word is trigger. It's a very important, and it triggered in me when children were spitting at us in Germany mm-hmm. and calling us terrible things, yeah. pigs and swine and all that. And I think it is very important to think before you say anything. And I know that uh, children were taught to hate. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's very sad when parents really do not realize that children don't do what we say. They do what they see. Mm -hmm. So you are father. You're a role model to your children. Mm -hmm. The way you treat the children's mother the woman that I saw, your wife. So I know that you're a kind, wonderful, giving mensch. Do you bring her coffee in the morning? I make her coffee in the morning. That's good. Keep yeah. keep doing that. Thank you. And, you know, the uh, I grew up in a family where... I had some grandparents who spoke about what happened to them and yes. some great uncles. I have a great uncle of mine who even after his, his death, no one knew what happened. No. Um, no. Why for you is it so important and how is it the process of, of talking about what happened to you such uh, an empowering thing versus hiding from it? You know, if I wouldn't do it, who would? I think it's not that I want to. I think it's my responsibility to let people know that my parents didn't die in vain. Mm -hmm. And I think my mother told me in the cattle car, I will quote her, honey, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your mind. I think it's good to watch the Karate Kid. 
That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. That the best power is the brain power. Yeah. And I remember you are telling, as I tell you, that my mom had a sixth sense. She was very psychic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mother, unfortunately, asked me, pointing at my mother, is she your mother or is she your sister? Mm-hmm. Mengele did that. Doctor, I, it was Dr. Mengele, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I said it was my mother. So she pointed my mother to go to the left, Mm -hmm. and I followed my mother. I never forget the way he came after me, Mm -hmm. grabbed me, and said, you're going to see your mother soon. She's just going to take a shower. Yeah. And I was thrown to the other side of Birkenau, and I was told that... uh, I'm going to see my mother. She's just going to take a shower. And I was told, pointing at the chimney, that my mother is burning there. Mm. And my sister said, my mother, my mother, unfortunately, was going to the gas chamber. And, And, you know, the my mother-in-law was talking to me about she heard about you from Oprah years ago and it's just yeah. so interesting how the younger community has latched on to your books so magically and so powerfully with such excitement and energy and and to me it, it was the most opportune time for your books to reinvigorate people to find hope right before COVID and all the insanity of the world um, that ensued. And it, it's such a, an amazing thing to see the power that you give. Thank the you. Books, I, your words. I, especially you know? in Germany. Especially in Germany. I spoke to a couple of many, many, many people, actually, um, not just a couple. And uh, I think it's very important f- for us to look at it as our responsibility Mm -hmm. to let people know what happens when good people do bad things, very bad things. People ask me, where was God in Auschwitz? My answer is God was with me. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I want to get into the more, you know, the gift, your gift book is, is I found now, I cried at both the books because it was just a, a just it touched like just her home as a as a family as 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 the story and just the powerful things that you you bring and one of the things that I have used for my clients is the line that you talk about when it comes to not letting our past and pain imprison us. How does do people let that happen, or what is the process that we get imprisoned and are not able to break free? Why can't we break free sometimes from that imprisonment? You know, people think that forgiveness has to do with I'm forgiving you for what you did to me. Mm -hmm. It's nothing at all like that. 
Forgiveness means that I give myself a gift to let go the part in me that still keeps me hostage and prisoner of the past. And I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think we suffered enough. So the question is not why me. The question is what now? Mm. Because I can only touch you now. Mm-hmm. Your work, it's, it's just such a simple and profound way of looking at our pain that I think people yeah. are so afraid of to, to just be so honest and real with letting, not letting go, but moving forward. And you talk about this idea of depression, right? That idea of being stuck in the past, right? Is depression. But you say that it's, that we, that it's the opposite of expression. Can you talk about what that means and why depression is the opposite of expression? You know, my daughter calls it edisms. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of depression is expression. Because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill. What stays in there does. Mm-hmm. So I never told anyone I was an Auschwitz until I read Man's Search for Meaning. And then I wrote an article, Victor Franco and me, the little old me. And someone sent it to him. And one day I got a letter. He wants to meet me in San Diego at the university uh, uh, international University, and yes, he became he became uh, truly my mentor and colleague. And I I don't think I would be the same person without him. I gave the ninety year old keynote address for his birthday, and I never forget the dance that we had in Germany. And he was really, truly, I would call him a Renaissance man. Mm -hmm. He was climbing mountains in his 70s in the Alps. Amazing. He was learning how to climb mountains and how to to be on an airplane. And um, he truly was a Renaissance man. And, it, you know, it's amazing for someone like me to, to, to look at both of the work of you and, and Viktor Frankl and, and see such, such power and, 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 and with such sadness in the past. And both of you come out with such a drive for change and impact of the world. Um, it's an unbelievable thing because a lot of people would think that someone who would have gone through such an experience would shut down, hide from the world, never talk about, never do anything. But you're doing just the opposite. I think we owe it to our parents that they didn't die in vain. I think it's very important for us to let people know what happens mm. when good people, we're not born with hate, we're not born with any of the things that we practice, we learn it. Children never do what we say, they do what they see. So I know that your wife and you are a wonderful role model to your children. So you know how to fight creatively, how to agree to disagree, 
that you never raise your voice, that you learn to negotiate and compromise. Uh, just a few more questions. Um, you say a line that to some people would think would be controversial, right? That time doesn't heal wounds. So yes. what does, right? Because it's a very repetitive thing. Oh, time heals wounds. So what really heals that wound? Time doesn't heal wounds. It's what you do with the time. So, so what must someone do? You have to go through the rage. You have to scream it out before you go into forgiveness. You know, no, no, no. You got to go through the rage. You got to go through the way that you look at things as an opportunity for an opportunity to discover that suffering makes you stronger. And that is very important. And to know that you can't heal what you don't feel. Mm. So when I had these two paraplegics, and one of them was in a fetal position, why me? How could God, country, do this to me? Just full of blame. Conversely, the other one is in a wheelchair and tells me that he's so blessed that now he is in a wheelchair and he can see the flowers much closer. Mm. He can see the children's eyes much closer. And here I am in a white coat. In a white coat, Dr. Edith Eva Eager, Department of Psychiatry. And I feel... Imposter. Very terribly, just like an imposter. Mm -hmm. Here I am, white coat, Dr. Eager, and I have a 16-year-old girl that I ran away from. Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided to go back to Auschwitz. And that's the work I do to revisit the places where you've been and relieve that experience, but don't get stuck in there. And Go through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't set up household there. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the key moment when you started healing yourself. That's when the time I decided that I have to go back to the lion's den and look at the lion in the face and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator and begin to forgive me. Mm. You know, and, and you, you have such a beautiful family, right? How yeah. was that for, for anyone who might be listening, who has gone through something difficult, is there a, a suggestion or thought process you might have on sharing that with your loved ones? Is there a good way, a smart way, a healthier way, or a hurtful way? I think it depends. A relationship, a marriage is like building a house. You can't build a house without the base. And the base is trust. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to regress. It doesn't mean you're going to uh, not able to grow. It's, it's better to evolve rather than revolve. Yeah. I think it's very important to be your own good parent, 
to you. I am very interested in telling you when 15 highly educated people celebrated that they can put 30,000 Jews in the oven in one day. I think it's very important for us to tell the children about choices. The more choices you have, the less you're going to ever feel like a victim. I was victimized. It's not who I am. It's not my identity. It's what was done to me. Mm-hmm. There is a big difference. And uh, two more questions. Um, that I, um, something that people that I work with on the daily have a hard time coming to terms with their yeah. actual feelings. They're afraid to say what they're feeling. And you talk so beautifully in the gift about how avoiding feelings is actually denying someone's reality. How is not saying your truth or saying your feelings denying the reality of your life? I think fear is not what we're born with. We learn it. We're not born with fear. So fear and love does not coexist. If you practice love, you're not going to have fear because love conquers all. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to feel the feelings. Yeah. Not talk about the feeling, not to analyze the feeling. So how are you going to do that? You got to go through the rage. You don't like it. It's inconvenient and it's temporary. We were told 4 o'clock in the morning, if you don't feel well, you can stay behind because we're going to take you to the hospital. There was no hospital. There was only the gas chamber. We learned very quickly, 4 o'clock in the morning, you be very careful to come and stand even if you don't feel like it because if you stay behind, we may never see you again. So you got to be very realistic mm-hmm. how we were able to take a shower when we didn't know whether water or gas is going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a very hard time right now because even today we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. And that's a very scary feeling. Yeah, it is. Um I really just, uh, the last question I have is you, you have this beautiful line about how childhood um, ends when we begin to live someone else's truth of who we are. You know, over the years, saying you're a Holocaust survivor, a woman, a psychologist, a mom, all these things that people maybe define you as, how do we not let other people's definition ruin ourselves? We recognize that there is no truth. It's all subjective. There is my truth and your truth. And what is true for me doesn't have to be true for you. I know that I feel younger now at 94 because I don't live in the past. Mm -hmm. I can only touch you now. Yeah. I can only touch you now. 
Do you still do uh, the dance moves anymore? You know, my my boyfriend died after six years. Yeah. And, but when we danced every Sunday, we had the big band. Mm-hmm. I still like the big band music. I don't know if you care for Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller. And uh, that's my kind of music still. I I love the big band. And um, my boyfriend knew how to go two to the right and two to the left and then turn around. And then he asked me, is it a rumba? Is it a samba? It didn't matter what I said because he only knew how to go two to the right and two to the left. <laughs> And then turn turn me around, and uh, and so I think it's very important for you to practice self love, which is self care. It's not narcissistic. Yeah, and I really just want to thank you so much for all the all the love and joy that you bring through your speeches, through your writing, through your content, through everything that you put out, and who and what you represent is strength, but also it's just purity of love that you just are. It just, it's amazing to, I know I'm not sitting in the room with you, but it's amazing just to look at you and see such smile and, and the power that you, that comes off of you is just inspiring. So I really just want to thank you so much for who you are and what you do for so many. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you and I continue to be chosen to take people and give them choices because the more choices you have, the less you're ever going to feel like a victim. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week, to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So, thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast. We've got more guests and more great content coming your way.